Welcome to the second episode of Virtually Relevant, Houston VR's podcast. I'm Eric. I'm William. I'm Josh. And I'm Kevin. We're going to kind of be a little more free-ranging this episode. Um, got a lot of things that we've been involved with and things that have been happening in the, the VR world around us. So let's, uh, let's dive on in. Uh, Josh, you wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the, the status of things with uh, phone-based VR. Yeah, just letting it all hang out this episode, right, Eric? <laughs> it's a relative toga party of virtually relevant. I am fully dressed, thank you. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, after we had some discussions last episode and uh, some of the news that broke since last time, it became pretty apparent that we're seeing kind of a uh, eclipse of the industry as it comes to smartphone based VR. I mean, there's a lot of focus on AR. There's still a lot of push and development for that. Um, but with Google announcing that in kind of a backwards way by not um, saying that the Pixel 4 is daydream compatible and with Samsung saying that the Note 10 is not um, Gear VR compatible, we're pretty much getting all signs saying that we are not going to see further iterations, at least for the time being, of any kind of smartphone-based VR, um, at, at least for the present time, right? So I, I personally, I think that that's a, um, a net positive for the industry, just because I spent a lot of my time um, introducing people to VR. I mean, for those of us that are really passionate about the industry, right? We we live in it every day, and it's nice to have something in your back pocket or in your backpack because can't doesn't really fit in your back pocket, right? Um, to jump into VR in day to day uses, or to quickly show somebody a piece or some kind of experience or demo something. But f I'd say for the vast majority of experiences out there. Um, it tends to rub people the wrong way or not introduce VR to them in a way that's really compelling. One of the um, ways that I usually describe VR or ex introducing VR to someone is it's trying, it's like trying to explain what it's like to ride a roller coaster if to someone that's never been on a roller coaster. And if you put someone on the wrong roller coaster for the first time for their first ride, whether it's too slow, too fast, too scary or, or what have you, it tends to put them off of roller coasters in general. And so one of the goals of VR, when you're introducing people to it, since it's such a new industry for most people, should be that the experiences that they are introduced to are just so compelling, so simple, so straightforward, that they want to keep coming back. They want to keep reinvesting their time into it. And I feel like a lot of the experiences in smartphones um, smartphone-based VR ended up falling short of that mark. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I was it, it, on the very low end with like Google Cardboard and so on. I really was genuinely concerned about poisoning the well, that the quality of the experience would be poor enough that people would say, ah, I've seen VR, it wasn't very good. And I've, I've talked to people who were like, yeah, I tried, I tried Google Cardboard, I tried VR, it wasn't good. And Gear VR and Daydream were definitely a, a huge step up from Google Cardboard, but... I still didn't feel like they were compelling enough. And, and this is as someone who has owned, I think, literally every iteration of the Gear VR. Um, 
there were just too many limitations on the phone, even if you ignored the processor, which is theoretically capable enough, because, I mean, you know, you look at the Go and the Quest, uh, especially the Quest, um, the fact that they, they tended to have uh, thermal throttling issues where they would overheat after 10 or 15 minutes and then the frame rate would plummet. Uh, you usually had to crack them out of the case. At least for the Gear VR, you had to take them out of the case to plug them in. The Daydream was a little better on that. Um, you had to make sure all of your other apps were shut down. You ended up with all sorts of interruptions and so on. Um, it just For something that was supposed to be convenient and low friction that you could just pop out and use, as, as someone who demoed VR to a whole lot of people, I almost never demoed the, the Gear VR just because I didn't feel like it represented VR very well. I mean, that being said, though, I, I think I will always keep my gear just just because of like the Felix and Paul um, experiences, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're so amazing for what they pulled off on such what ends up being a, a rather limited um, form factor, right? I think there, there I were think some just... actually good pieces of software, but I think they're going to be ported forward. I know Felix and Paul said they are going to remaster their stuff and, and bring it forward to Quest. Um and I mean, uh, Oculus has has started uh, porting. They added a, a a Go emulation layer to the Quest and brought fifty titles over. And I think it's up to like sixty five now of some of the better Go titles. So I don't think a lot of that content will be lost. Thankfully, I think it's we're kind of like Virtual Boy era, right? <laughs> like we have the idea is there. The, the the hardware was made as a proof of concept and. Uh, a lot of experiences, whether good or bad, were thrown at it to to see the how, how the market sticks to it, right? But in, in the end, I think it's too early. Um, the the smartphones weren't powerful enough; they get too hot too quickly. The battery drains too quickly. Like you said, the 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 case problem, right? Um, until a lot of these things get solved by smartphones themselves, I don't think smartphone based VR is ready just yet. I don't know. Do you think that's the thing is I don't know if smartphone based VR is ever really going to be a thing now, now that we've got self-contained units that, you know, are, are basically running that, that, that hardware in a entirely capable platform. I think we're going to see the future honestly lean more towards what the quest is looking at in terms of a mobile headset that can also be plugged in, AKA the Nintendo switch of VR hardware. Uh, I think that's going to be the more popular platform rather than trying to get somebody to stuff their phone into something. I take my quest I mean, everywhere. I mean, I, I've got it right. flipped onto my laptop bag. It's nothing to transport it. I mean, you couldn't fit the uh, the Gear VR or the Daydream in your pocket either. So, I mean, it wasn't like you could just you know whip that no. out. So, if you're going to be carrying, you know, some minimal headset and a, a backpack or a laptop bag, I, I think the Quest is so incredibly superior to any of the the phone based VR. I, I think that has just killed the market. In fact, I think that was kind of what made the decision was it just it stomped it. It was so much better. Right, and right now you're in a situation where, okay. Does it make sense to try and shoehorn in VR or AR in some cases uh, into into the mobile platform when you're already, you know, using the battery on that device throughout the day? And if you want to do something in VR, okay, you have to make the decision of being available on, you know, via phone or text or whatever, or playing VR. And, you know, it's it's 
having a separate unit with a separate battery and being able to just grab that and do what you want. I think that's the platform that is going to end up being the, the real winner in terms of mobile VR, not yeah. trying to like throw your phone into it again. Uh, it's just, it just, there's too much, there's too much variety with the phones in terms of hardware and size. Like even the Gear VR tried to deal with the different phones that Samsung offered and, you know, having it kind of um, spring loaded to fit the various sizes. But even then, like your the experience varied between one and the other. But in a world where you already have a self-contained three degrees of freedom device like the Go, which I have my own opinions about in terms of whether or not that's going to be around for very long, given how popular the Quest is. The real question is, do we even see a future for three degrees of freedom? And I I don't know that there is a long term future for three degrees of freedom VR. No, I mean, I mostly don't. Maybe the next year and a half. Frankly, even if you're just doing media consumption, the fact that, you know, you can shift and and lean and, you know, you know, lean back in your chair or something and the world doesn't lean with you is a huge comfort uh, factor. I mean, we have to remember that the context in which the Gear VR came out uh, at that time. I mean, the the only way you could get decent VR was through a a high end PC with a tethered headset uh, so there really was, and, and they were expensive at the time. I mean, they, they came out at the high end. So if you wanted something reasonably priced, a little more democratized, then it made sense. But as the, the price point came way down, I mean, they really hit it out of the park with the price point on the quest, um, and it's, it's capabilities. And I, and I think it's, it's actually, I mean, if they could squeak it down just even a little bit further, that would, that would help, but it has reached the point where it's, it's like buying a console. And right. yeah. with its portability and the the inside out tracking, the fact it can do room scale, it can do hand tracking, and and can turn in an entirely credible VR experience, I think there's just no room for what phone based VR was trying to do. Yeah, I I agree. I think we're seeing the beginning of we're certainly seeing the sunset or the end of mobile VR. And I think we're seeing the beginning of the end for Three Degrees of Freedom VR in the long run. I will throw one thing out, though, and this is something I'm a little surprised hasn't happened. I don't know if you remember when the the Vive first came out, it had a lot of features to pair to your phone via Bluetooth. So calls would pop up and texts would pop up. Right. I am a little surprised with the uh, the Quest that, you know, because I mean, your phone's probably in your pocket while you're doing these things, that it doesn't have some degree of support for, you know, doing phone-based things. That's actually one of the things that they brought up about what the negative uh, aspects of smartphone-based VR was, that you weren't able to use a lot of the functionality of the phone despite it being on your phone. Right. right. It was limiting from limiting you from access to those things. So I, I really think that that's a, a needed feature in the short term, um, regardless of what platform you're on, some, some access to the outside world, right? Right. I also think as a, a market study on... Uh, the adoption rate of VR in a, a populace that is not um, that hasn't been introduced to VR or isn't keen on on going out of their way to introduce themselves to it, even removing all the friction of needing a hardware, a, a high end computer, and you know three cameras for room scale Oculus or something like that. Um, just giving someone the option of having uh, a Gear VR was still way more friction, right, than yeah. um, the average person was willing to go through 
in order to get to um, an experience. And so that's why I think, like you guys are saying, the quest and uh, by proxy, the cosmos and, and other things like it, that is just throw on the headset. It's all in one. It's no, no tether needed. And you're up and running is really the paving the, the way to the future. I'd agree. Kevin, do you have any uh, strong feelings one way or the other on phone-based VR? Uh, well, yeah. So, um, you know, v- phone-based VR is kind of the uh, main reason why I actually got a Samsung Galaxy S7 in, uh, in the beginning when it launched. Uh, you know, and, and sadly, I just never really used it yeah. all that much. Um, it it's, it's still around, and, and I might pick it up here and there just to kind of check on something but <laughs> i just you know I, I i don't actually even use it though like you know i, I just kind of pop it on to to see what's around um uh but but other than that i you know it, it's gotten very very little use yeah. um i i think what's gonna kind of happen though is we're gonna start to see a little bit more of a of a shift with with phone stuff so yeah i think vr is gonna go away for phones but i think ar is going to start to become more popular yeah uh, i would not be at all surprised if you see tethered ar you know where you've got a pair of glasses and then a cable that runs down to your phone in your pocket because that's that's the challenge with AR is you know not having a bunch of bulky equipment sitting on your face if you're going to be walking around in public and, and carrying it around all day. So well, and you know right. it might not pass muster for us um, who are hardcore immersive tech nerds, um, but Pokemon Go just announced that they passed three billion dollars in revenue, and for an application that touts AR as one of their features, um, I think it's a compelling piece of evidence that says. It's there, and and Snapchat as well just just released their. Um... Here's the thing, though, as a person who played Pokemon Go fairly regularly, and has several friends who continue to play the game, no one uses AR, AR mode. mode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no one. No, I not a single. If you took a study yeah. of a hundred players, no one uses it. Yeah. Because it is a pain in the butt and it adds nothing to the game. It actually makes the game more difficult to use the AR features. Yeah. Even when they added in this extra AR plus mode, it was a cool thing to turn on for a minute, but no one uses it. I think everyone tried so it while once or twice. Everyone, right. And so while everyone likes to likes to reference Pokemon Go as like, oh, this AR app that blah, 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 blah. It's not, though, because no one uses well, that feature. I mean, I'd... And it's kind of I'm, like the, a corner. It's location thing, based. I mean, it's, it's right, but it, but like, okay, so it, example, um, almost nobody uses the 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 AR mode in Pokemon Go. Right. However, uh, there are a few instances that it does force you to use it. Yes. Uh, for instance, during the Mew special event, you had to use AR AR mode in order to see Mew and capture Mew, and I think they've done that a few more right. times. Comparatively, Niantic's next game that they came out with, or the more recent one, the Harry Potter Go, it's not called that, but that's what everyone calls it. Yeah, everyone I know calls it Potter Go, (laughs) because it's just easier than saying all of the Harry Potter Wizards Unite. 
Um, it has a feature in it called port keys, yeah. and the way those function is you actually have a portal that you do have to use AR mode and step into, and then you look around. And that's not really so much AR mode as it is, um, it it's AR, but then you're into a whole you know, fully rendered world type situation. Right. So that's what's getting blurry. Even then the, the application is, is limited um, of those features. So yeah. I, I understand why a lot of marketing people want to say, Oh, well, Pokemon go. Yeah. But let's be honest. If you talk to anybody who actually uses the game, hardly anyone uses the AR mode. And if they do, it's very limited circumstances. So, so if you want to talk about specific use cases that are very strongly AR um, oriented, right? So Snapchat. Okay. Um, yeah. Does the the facial recognition and and all all those things? But and is they that just, AR? They just released um, something called 3D Paint that allows you to paint on your face and create your own facial uh, manipulations. Right, so it's it's literally drawing onto your face using that that facial um, algorithm. So it it is AR. And then you have uh, Angry Birds just released um, Angry Birds AR where it does plane detection and then creates the level based on the um, plane that you see there and you get to play the game on, on your surface or in your environment around you. I really hate that the term AR has gotten diluted so much. Uh, I mean, I, I know that this is, you know, being a little excessive but i mean i almost don't feel like things are properly ar until they're wearable until you you put them put them on and walk out into the world and see the world change around you and i get that a ton of things that are being done in phone-based ar and tablet-based ar are foundational and are going to be incredibly important for wearable ar uh i don't think most people grasp what ar potentially is based on what's getting called ar these days so this is a perfect opportunity to segue into <laughs> talking about Tilt 5, yes. which just closed their Kickstarter at $1.7 million, which is insane. Um, Eric, do you want to explain what Tilt 5 is? Sure. No, I mean, uh, if, if you've been on the kind of the VR and AR scene for long enough, you may remember something called Cast AR from way back that was using the same tech. And it's actually the, the same tech, same people. It just got kind of bought up and re, repurposed. It's sort of a, a niche application or a niche uh, implementation of AR where you put on glasses and there's actually a projector on the glasses that projects out onto a, a retroreflective surface. Uh, it's a sort of a, a shiny mat or a shiny piece of fabric. Uh, and it reflects back directly to you, so only you can see what it is, and then it's got the the, the shuttering on the eye so that you get three dimensions because uh, it alternates between each eye. Um, and it's one of those things where, I mean, when they first announced it back in the cast AR days, you're like, well, what kind of what good is that? I mean, if you can only see things on this this mat that you, you put somewhere, I mean, so we're all thinking of AR as you know, something you took out into the world, but I think they found possibly the perfect use for it, which is board games <laughs> and so you throw this mat on the table and everybody puts on the glasses and they can all see you know three-dimensional graphics on this mat and and play games together with it which is a really clever use for it this is actually a kind of an interesting story um it was if i remember right it was uh jerry ellsworth was working at valve and um valve was doing some r d on ar and vr uh, years back and 
Gabe decided that um, really that they were going to focus whole hog on VR related project uh, products and projects and basically spun off AR and said, we're not going to do anything with it. And Jerry was like, okay, I'm going to run with this. And basically asked, you know, can I, can I own this uh, development that we've started working on and I'm going to make this into its own thing. And that became cast AR, which then now has become tilt five. I I think it's always been a compelling product. Um, It's just taken some, uh, some time to, like you say, find the right product to put it forward as, and to showcase its real use cases. And I think board games and doing things like um, Dungeons and Dragons yes. or custom oh, yeah. ch- like Wizards Chess from from Harry Potter Ooh, things like that cool. turn based so card games yeah no my I, I really I mean uh, at least from the the demonstration videos and so on it looks like a beautiful implementation it's a really clever use case my only real objection to it is you've got to have multiple headsets for it to really you know work in in that setting and. While the price of one headset is not bad, the price of, say, three or four starts to reach uh, numbers I didn't really want to buy in for. I, I came very close to backing this Kickstarter, uh, but it was one of those things where it's like, well, I could I could justify picking one up. I can't really justify picking up two or three, and I'd need two or three for it to be really meaningful. You were supposed to buy enough for all of us, Eric. Was, I know. That was I the know. whole goal. That's, well, I mean, that's why we made this podcast was for you to kickstart everything and for us and to play I, with those I have those clearly sports. failed, and, and I'm sorry. But I, I will also say that I've, I have a very... I used to back a lot of VR and AR hardware kickstarters, and my history on those delivering has not been very good on the balance. Uh, I mean, certainly there were some some winners. I mean, I backed the, the Oculus Kickstarter, and that went very well. Uh, and there have been some ones that have never delivered for me, like the Prio VR. Um, and I love how every time we talk about this, and and the listeners won't know, but every time we talk about this, your example of the one that wins is is the Oculus, well, which yeah. admittedly was great. I mean, Kickstarter backers got CV ones and the DK, you know, the DK ones that you guys backed and everything, and that's great. But then, what else actually delivered? Because there wasn't much. Uh, like, well, I'm trying to think back on the things that actually did deliver. The Virtuix Om- I got a Virtuix Omni. I know not everyone did, but but I actually True. received that one, so that was arguably a win. Uh, and I got my money back from six cents for the stem. So I mean, that wasn't a total loss. What was that? Six years later? Yes, it was six years later. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there were any other hardware-based ones. That... You still haven't gotten your Pryo VR no, suit, right? Didn't you? No, I haven't. Was it Pryo or Neuron? It was that Pryo. You backed? I backed Pryo. Pryo. It's Pryo. Yeah, and, and I haven't completely learned my lesson. I backed Yaw VR. Uh, they are shipping to backers slowly, so we'll see if I actually get mine. But <laughs> and then did, did you also back uh, the the O6 headphones or yeah you know? oh yeah the O6 I, I was really yeah, sad about that, that one because those were really good yeah really and we got to try them at SVVR yeah. back in 2017 well, yeah. 16 17 really, that's the thing about they were great that's the thing about hardware though right it's 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 one thing to make a prototype because there's a whole uh, ecosystem of prototyping hardware out there that you can pay. A pretty hefty penny, but not too much, in order to, you know, make your own custom ASICs and all these kinds of things that will make your proof of concept into an actual product in your 
garage. But once you go to take it to mass production, like each little widget, each little part, you go and you get nickel and dimed $50,000 to $100,000 per each part that you have to fabricate and then build a supply chain. And then you also have to order, you know, 10 to 100,000 units of each part all up front. It, it becomes this almost insurmountable task um, that most of these guys that are have a fantastic idea and a lot of momentum and a lot of backing from the community through Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or what have you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have venture capitalists beating down their door to give them the $100 million that they need in capital investment to actually turn that idea into a real product. And it also takes a lot longer than people realize the the, the iterative process of, I mean, you, you send it off, you get it back, you know, everything's not quite the way you want it. So you, you kick it back and then it takes a lot longer. And then you hit Chinese New Year and everything's shut down for a month. And, you know, this entire time you're burning money, paying your company. People are yelling at you for not delivering. It's hardware's hard. And I mean, and that's even with, I mean, like with the, the Sixth Sense, I felt pretty safe on that because I actually owned uh, a Razer Hydra, which was by the same people. And they were, you know, they, they'd shipped that and they were demonstrating a working prototype. I was like, yeah, well, obviously they're going to get this out the door. And they never did. So it's just... I mean, software has the same trouble. Like, there are how many games that get kickstarted and never deliver? Yeah, but I think um, a much higher percentage of them do finally make it to market. Or or at least get, to some degree, you know, a beta Actually, the, in a department or an area of Kickstarter that actually does really, really well, a friend of mine constantly backs... Um, is miniatures and board games. Yeah, those do well. So the miniature and board game industry, instead of producing a game, releasing it, and hoping it sells, a lot of them have taken, like the majors, have taken to throwing a project up on Kickstarter saying, here's what we want to do, and here's what we're going to stretch to, and here's what the game is going to be, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't do any manufacturing until essentially the game is ready, and then they kickstart it, and then if, if it gets you know, funded, they go, okay, cool, here you go. And they run into production and they release it. And that may be the only, you know, the only run of that particular thing they sell, but it gives them the opportunity to pre-sell to some degree their games and enhance that game with early funding instead of stocking shelves and doing marketing pushes for products that may never actually be wanted by the community. So, I mean, it's... Kickstarter is a wild west wasteland of of hopes and dreams, um, but <laughs> you painted such a great picture of it. Well, I'm, <laughs> it yeah, honestly, yeah. it is. I mean, you, you're hitter. The way I've heard it described is it's like investing. You know, yeah. you're investing, hoping that you get a return, and your return is the product that you paid for. Right, but <laughs> you may not ever get that product it may literally be that you put six hundred dollars into something and never see anything from it and and that's what you're doing is you're playing with you're playing with investing there's, there's Speaking plenty of, um, of cases some where kickstarter works well you know as you said board games Absolutely. books, music there's all sorts of things but software is tricky and hardware is far harder and looping that back to, to tilt five well 1.7 million sounds like a huge number that's nothing when you're manufacturing no. hardware uh I wish them well. I very genuinely hope they succeed. I, I'm hoping that I yeah, get to... Yeah, it's a cool idea. That's no, brilliant. I, I hope it succeeds. They deliver and it takes off because I would love to to buy into that. 
ideally it just did a lower price point because it's it's just hard when Absolutely. you want three or four headsets speaking of uh high hopes for hardware yeah. um i don't know if you guys caught this but the the military recently put out a, a bid for r&d of a headset that can do re- regular optics kind of H- hmd ar stuff um as well as night vision as well as turn into a vr headset all in one headset that can be deployed across tens or hundreds of thousands of people good is this luck. the one that uh microsoft just won i i, I heard no. something about okay no they they put out a bid they want uh, people like Microsoft or R&D firms to come up with ways to either research or to actually produce this product. So we're, we're going down this path of talking about, you know, hard to produce and all these complications and things that, you know, unforeseen challenges. But man, trying to slim up a, a and ruggedize a product. Um, I would love to see one of those things. You know, if someone out there knows of something like that, please contact me. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a yeah, it's a hard luck. use case, but I, I will also say the military has deep pockets. So I mean, if uh, yes, I was going to say the bar for success on the military is kind of low, yeah. um, in terms of your, their money was quote unquote well spent. Right. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Well, um, and uh, and Daiquiri was kind of going along right. those lines, yeah, but that's true. sadly they closed up shop right. not too long exactly. ago. Exactly. So, so that kind of gives you the idea of of. Of where that market is. Not to say that there's not something there, but um, to be fair, Daiquiri's headset did cost somewhere in the range of $14,000 right, per yep. headset. So that is definitely a industrial slash military uh, price point, not a consumer or most yeah. industry price point. And I, we'll I do think you'll probably see AR take off in a big way in you know military, industry, um you know, these sorts of applications first because you know the, the the benefit is high they they've got a lower sensitivity to cost and so on and there's high benefit but right if you can make one human more efficient you right. can reduce the number of humans you need no i mean i don't know i i do i do have hopes that some of these these military contracts and military applications will have uh they'll will help solve some of the hard problems with the military money and then that tech will trickle down to the rest of us Will, are you saying one human to rule them all? <laughs> oh God, no! I'm saying <laughs> that uh, basically, if they, if the foreman at ABC Shipping Company can walk through an entire empty warehouse and know exactly what crate has something, thanks to an AR headset that is strapped to his face, uh, he doesn't need forty guys to move stuff and look around and handle manifests if it's all digital. So. I mean, that's that's the reality of of AR in the workplace is what that's going to do is it's going to make things more efficient, which inevitably in in our society lends to, OK, that's great. We can reduce the workforce um, instead of reapplying them other other places. Um, but that's a little too bleak for the podcast. So let's move on. How about video? Or how about games? Yeah, let's let's do about. some reviews. Uh, we all got uh, yeah. a bunch of us got a chance to play a surprisingly cool game called Akron. Uh, we actually played it for the yes. first time after hours Super fun. when we were at Oculus Connect. Uh, William, you want to jump in and, and talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I want to say that is maybe the f- most fun <laughs> I had. At Oculus Connect, and it wasn't even at Oculus Connect, yeah. which is kind of sad, but it was a crazy fun game and a weird, uh, amazing little indie game. Um, 
So it's called Akron, A-C-R-O-N, which is a misspelling of Acorn inherently because what I love about this game is that it's my favorite genre of game, whether you're talking about VR or otherwise, which is asymmetrical gameplay. Yes. So two things to love about this game is that, one, the player in VR plays as the tree, um, and the tree has five, I believe, acorns that they are protecting. And they have to defend these these acorns from an onslaught of squirrels. Um, and the squirrels are all uh, other players who are playing on their mobile device, their phones. Uh, I think you might be able to play on your tablet, too. But the yeah, cool thing can. about this is only one person needs to have... Uh, a headset and uh, you can play it from pretty much anywhere because it's a room key based system, not a local Wi-Fi system. So it's, it's server side shared, which is awesome, which means you can just be like, Hey, Joe, Steve, and so-and-so I want to play some Akron. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pop in the headset. I'll text you the game code. And then you do that. And then your friends who are doing whatever can hop in and you can all play. Um, so without having to purchase it right, right. without having yeah. to purchase yeah. the game because the client for the mobile system is free um the game is 20 dollars, which i think is really worth it in terms of how much replayability and fun this was um you it it definitely seems skewed heavily on the tree side of things <laughs> until you start to learn a strategy as the squirrels so we were rotating the headset every like three or four uh rounds which made it really fun everybody got a chance to kind of get get their feet wet as the tree and play the various classes of squirrels um i highly recommend it it was very fun it is a game that i intend to play many many times uh with friends uh like doing game nights and things like that because yeah. it is very fun and super replayable. It's probably, uh, I want to say it's maybe the best VR game I've played this year. <laughs> um, it's super, super fun and super. It is replayable. really fun. And the, one of the great things about it is that it is equally fun to play as a squirrel or as the tree. So in VR or not Absolutely. in VR. Uh, so you're not, you know, sitting there wishing you were in VR. It's certainly fun when you get there, but, you know, because you got a very different experience being in the tree and, and throwing things and, and so on. But um, it it's entirely fine and, and just as fun to sit there and play as a squirrel. And they get the different types of squirrels. There's there's a lot of, of coolness there. And you can do it up to eight people. Was that eight players? I think it's eight squirrels versus up eight squirrels max versus one, one tree. tree. Right. And there's different... Uh, there's squirrels that can, you know, burrow under the ground or yeah, build like ramps tank. or ones that are big and can kind of block some damage from squirrels behind them. So it's... Uh, ones that can dig tunnels. Yeah. It's really cool. It's cool. It's, it's a really fun game. Strongly recommended. So do you think that this kind of asynchronous play style is something that is going to help really push the industry forward? Because, I mean, like, when you think about when PCs first came about, you still had a... a, a pen and paper file system when you had tvs first coming around people were able to you know crowd around and watch one tv together whereas vr is very personal and it's very limited to one person per device so opening it up allowing people to use devices they already have in their pockets because we, as we spoke earlier that smartphone vr has gone the way of the dodo for the time being um maybe that is kind of the leg up that the industry needs at least for entertainment purposes i don't see it being like a a industry changing thing i see it being a thing that makes vr more approachable in a social setting and in, in sort of like a party setting yeah. so now i mean like 
the hardcore VR nerds were like, hey, everybody come over to my house, we'll play some VR. And what you really do is one person plays and the rest of you watch yeah, on TV and see yeah. what he's seeing, kind of. And then that's how it went. Now, instead, you can say, hey, y'all come over, let's play some video games. You can pop on, you know, Akron, you can throw in, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. Yep. Yeah um max or sorry mass exodus is a is an asynchronous uh game jam game that's sort of similar um there are there are now games starting to trickle out that have this asynchronous gameplay and i think it makes it a little more approachable from a uh local multiplayer slash like party uh standpoint which is what's really going to help get people interested i mean right now you know beat saber is doing that for a lot of people because you can have friends over and you can take turns playing Beat Saber. And it's sometimes equally as fun to watch as it is to play. But if you instead, like in the case of some of these asymmetrical games, engage everyone at the same time, everybody feels like they're having fun and everybody's doing something. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to change the industry as a whole doing this. And I don't think that everything should try and shoehorn this in. It is definitely needs to be built around that idea. Right. Um, I, I definitely but don't it think, is a great idea. I don't think you should shoehorn most concepts i think you should it should be a right. bespoke idea but uh eric what's your your take is there something that you think that would benefit from asynchronous uh play or something that you haven't seen done that you'd like to see i don't know i'd have to give that some thought i mean i i think it is hard to hit on a, a paradigm that works well um but when you do it's it's just incredibly engaging and it, it really expands it's it's a force multiplier it takes one headset and means five six eight people can be having fun with it um so i'm definitely a fan but as i'm with william i don't think it's going to be industry changing but it may uh help popularize it i mean people play this stuff at parties and then they go home and they want it so you know it'll it'll have some impact well you know well you said something that was interesting though like Beat Saber allows people to almost have as much fun watching as um, someone playing, right? And I think a another part of VR that is really compelling of watching someone play that is almost infinitely hilarious and entertaining is watching someone play a horror-based game <laughs> and seeing their visceral experience play out in real time as they try to keep their composure um, while experiencing some very heightened emotions. Right. Horror is one of the genres that's interesting because it's sometimes more fun to be on the outside watching yeah. than it is to actually be doing it. Um, like I used to have uh, game nights with my friends where we would play horror games and essentially one person would, would be playing or we'd pass the controller around at different intervals and one person just got too stressed out uh, and the rest of us would just sit and watch and, and sort of commentate. And that's that's an area where I think that carries over both in VR and in you know pancake games, flat games, whatever you want to call them, um, that, that really you know resonates across the line of VR or not. Is horror is just fun to experience with people, whether you're controlling the the game or not. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll I'll actually throw this out. Say, um, there was a, a game called Dread Halls way back in the the mm -hmm. DK two days, and then on the Gear VR, uh, <clears> that recently came out for the Quest, and they made some minor updates to it. Uh, so it's it's a little bit more, you know, it was it was from the you know GamePad era. 
and it, it has some nods to to hand tracking but uh even with its kind of slightly clunky retro interface uh it still delivers the chills i threw uh someone in at the last meetup uh who kind of fancies himself a uh, a horror aficionado and uh it it definitely got his heart rate up in a couple spots you could tell he was really really nervous and the first time he encountered something uh, he he jumped so it's it's super effective in vr and you know more more than kind of on the flat screen um William, you actually you you uh, had some familiarity with what the Five Nights at Freddy VR experience. Yeah, so um, the Five Nights at Freddy's VR is actually the seventh game or something like that in the in the stretch of these. And while I haven't followed closely like all of the games and and everything, um, I I have seen several uh, playthroughs of this because I was interested. I didn't want to drop the money on a Five Nights at Freddy's VR game if it wasn't going to be interesting to me having not played the previous games. Um, so I watched a few different videos on let's uh, on YouTube of uh, YouTubers that I follow who uh, played through them. And the if you have played the old games, um, it will be very familiar. You're except for the fact that now you're in those games. you're you're very um, the, for the majority of it, you're um, you take the games take place in an office, a security office, um, and you're controlling different buttons and screens and things like that. So in VR, you're doing this exact same thing, except now you're in those. So you actually feel more invested and more present in these games. So now when these giant animatronics that are coming towards you to kill you are doing it, you know, in 3d space, it's a little more unnerving than it was just on the screen. Now keep in mind, this was already terrifying to several people, (laughs) On a flat screen, now you have this thing, and you have, so have this real sense of of how big these things are coming at you, and it's really kind of freaky. Um, and then they have this whole extra um, subplot that they added to it that's super creepy and weird um, and nerdy in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's a very good VR adaptation of all of the past games, all of the past mainline games, because there are spinoffs and things like that, but. Um, so they recreated all of the first like four, four game, five games. Um, and then there's some new special levels that are like VR dependent where you're looking around left and right, uh, trying to solve puzzles in 3d space, um, that involve the different characters. And so that's, it's really cool. Um, if you're looking for like a scary game to play, uh, this Halloween, that's, that's a good one, uh, especially if you like that. I don't know that I would let children play it because it's a little disturbing. Um, it's also I, on sale I mean, on Steam right now. 30% it off. is on sale, sale right now. Yeah, true. Um, now, so should be noted that we're recording this the night before Halloween. So Oculus's Halloween sale and Steam's Halloween sale is live. Um, there's a lot of good stuff right now. So if you've been like holding off on picking up a few things, now is a good time. I think I got a notification on my phone that like 16 things on my wish list on Steam were on sale. So I was like, oh, all right, cool. Let's see what's going on. Is there, is there um, any sign that Resident Evil 7 VR is ever going to go non-exclusive? I don't think it'll ever make the jump personally. Uh, it's. I mean, I've got a yeah, PSVR. Like we can figure something out and, and, and play it. Um it's but i don't i don't think it would ever make the jump given the licensing issues and the exclusivity with with play, ps4 and i mean they saw remnants in like the that. in the pc version there were you know kind of little stubs and so on in config files that right. looked like they had right. you know potential support for it but i, I 
it sounds like, I mean, at this point, it's been how many years? What, two years, three years? Oh, yeah, it's been a couple of years yeah. now since then. So but I, don't think I imagine there's probably like a modded way to get it yeah, going. Probably. But as far as like an official PC release, I would be surprised. Um, I think the only the like the only game that's made the jump from PS4 to PC that I know of has been Moss. Yeah. Um, uh, Arkham VR. Oh, as there well. you go. Did Arkham? Okay, Arkham VR did as well. Yeah. Um. So there are uh, uh, only a couple of them, and those are all from third party yeah. studios, which uh, most of them are. But like Arkham oh, VR and made then, it. Uh, Skyrim as well. Well, kind of. Kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's that was just, I, that was I, I more of a. It was ever yeah. considered like really an exclusive issue. Yeah. PS4 has say. Skyrim, and then. On the other mm-hmm. side, uh, everybody knew that uh, Bethesda was also working on Fallout 4 VR for PC. Right. And, then, and that was going to be a Vive exclu- or a Valve exclusive or whatever initially. So, um, I, I, you know, Borderlands 2, I think, was PS4 VR first and then it went to PC. If that counts. Is it? I thought it came out. Didn't it just come out like a couple of weeks ago? Like, And it, it launched on everything at the same time. No, 2. Uh, th- three came out uh, a couple or what two weeks ago three weeks ago i thought i saw something the other day that borderlands 2 vr is is out now and it was yeah. just it had just came out has it been out for a while i i, I thought it came out on ps4 vr first i could be wrong hmm. um also eh, another thing we'll i wanted to note on on five nights on freddy's uh, uh at freddy's um uh, a popular youtuber markiplier um did a whole series of videos on them totaling in about 40 to 45 million views um yep so it just shows uh, you that i personally watched go ahead it just shows you that it's a, it's a it's a popular experience to watch someone else's experience in a horror <laughs> based experience right? oh absolutely oh, yeah. and the whole let's play genre is right. literally built on the backs of that uh that experience um personally i watched the game theorist channel do it because i'm interested more in like the the background lore that takes place in some of these games because i don't really go for jump scare games but there's some interesting very very like nerdy easter egg stuff in these games that i kind of love um and so i like watching their summaries and their theories and their their sort of collections of that and he played through it the day it came out um so it was pretty awesome um it was pretty interesting yeah, Markiplier's played it. I think the game theorists have played it. I'm sure PewDiePie or whoever the major is now has played it. Um, so it, it, it's definitely cool. And if you've got a PC VR headset, it's it's worth a play. Um, I don't know of any other like particularly scary ones that might might be uh, good, but definitely check out the Steam sale and definitely check out the Oculus sale because there's a lot on sale right now. Kevin, um, is... or hopefully it's still on sale by the time this episode <laughs> oh, airs. Kevin, is there anything that you've played recently that you would, you know, strongly recommend or strongly recommend against on the VR side? Uh, as pertaining to um, not no, not horror specific at this point. I mean, okay. sure, if you have a horror uh, thing, but uh, well, uh, actually, I, I did kind of want to ask uh, real quick. Uh, so, out of all the people that I know that have actually played uh, Resident Evil Seven on VR. None of them have actually finished it in <laughs> VR. They've all stopped playing it. Have do, do, do y'all have any friends or know of anyone that is has actually finished playing Resident Evil Seven? In I VR? don't. But is it? I'm curious. Is it because they just they found the the VR interface 
unsatisfying or just because it was too intense they couldn't cope so for, from what i've heard it was all just a, a little bit too much and so they all decided to put it down oh. look you're gonna buy me a playstation <laughs> vr you know challenge accepted i will play look, i've got one i'm saying we can we can make this happen i think one of- we can spend a we can spend a a midday because playing this game in the middle of the night um, <laughs> we can we can spend a midday session and we can play that game uh yeah there was a i think my all one of my all-time favorite penny arcade comics was resident evil 7 vr it was you know him, him playing <laughs> it and he he's you know completely losing control of his bodily functions and he's, he's in it and he's just screaming buy a new couch on amazon <laughs> and uh <laughs> and tells the other guy he's got to try he's like no 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 <laughs> Kojima said that he's interested Uh -uh. in uh, making a VR title. Oh, and it would probably mess us all up for life. But (laughs) I I can't wait to see what he would do. But he says he's too busy to actually do it. So, but no, I I hope he finds time because he he does creepy and unsettling really well, and uh, I would like to see that. Let me throw out one I I tried. It's not horror, but uh, that was fascinating and, and was exceptionally good. There's an experience called Notes on Blindness. Uh, I I played it on the Quest. There's there's a Rift port. I believe there's also a Go port. Um, there was a, a, a writer and theologian who, in the early 80s, uh, he'd, he'd been going progressively blind. He finally went completely blind around 83. And so he started making audio recordings talking about his experience as someone newly blind. And they, they made a documentary out of it, and then they you know, created this VR experience, you wouldn't think a, a, a sort of a documentary about blindness would work well in a, as visual a medium as VR, but because you have exceptional directional audio, uh, it actually does work extremely well. And they, they play pieces of the, the recordings of him talking about this experience and you hear the sounds in the soundscape that are talking about the things he's describing. And then they do these, these visuals where you just sort of see sound reflecting off of uh, you know, objects. As well. You see you know, rain hitting things and you see the, the little pops as the rain hits things. And, you know, so you actually kind of get this, this visual representation of the world that you're building out of these sounds. And, you know, you can close your eyes and kind of actually you know, play it out exactly the way he was. Or you can look and see these images, which worked. They were, they were very pretty, actually, the way they implemented them. But it was it was really compelling. It's about six segments from his uh, recordings. Probably is like 20, 25 minutes altogether. Uh, I've talked to five or six people who've done it, and they were all incredibly moved by it and found it to be uh, a really impressive experience. So just a strong recommendation on that. It's, it's either free or cheap on, on the Quest and uh, well worth checking out. You have one more, Eric, that you're not referencing that, um, that when, you know, the experience wouldn't fall into a jump scare, right? Yeah. But it is frightening if, if implemented properly. And you were telling me about your unique, or I guess not unique, but a very um, compelling uh, implementation of Richie's plank. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One of the yeah, that. yeah one of the great things about Richie's plank experience is that it will let you take a real plank and and trace out the boundaries of it, and it'll map the virtual plank to it. And by far the best way to do it is to to put some bricks under one end of the plank so it's solid, and then you put some like thick sponges under the far end so it's got some flex to it. 
And I've done it multiple times. You know, you also set it up so that you get like a fan blowing on people when the when the elevator door is open. And I'd done it a number of times, and you know, on a flat floor and on a plank. We tried it at my office recently, and we shifted to a narrow plank where you have to put one foot in front of the other. And holy smokes, does that take the stakes up? Because uh, you know, you got to get down to the end of the plank and then turn around. And when you're having to, you know, turn around with, you know, one foot balanced on the plank, uh, it, it takes that experience up a significant notch. There's also, there's a mode, if you uh, open up a little panel in the elevator, there's a Halloween mode. I think they call it, you know, spiders and cake or something now uh, that involves spiders. And if you are not good with spiders, uh, that, that pit, that adds a lot to the kind of uh, freakiness of it. I'm fine with spiders, but I have some coworkers who are not, and they did not cope well with that. See now you got to take it to a trampoline park. Oh and, God! Like, move someone up half half a story. In in, in it's VR available wireless. on the Quest now, right? Yes, it is, and it works beautifully on the Quest. There you go. Awesome. There you go. Does it still have all the same functions to where like you can actually make your own board, or you can yeah you can put in the same size board that you're actually using? Yes, yeah. That's that's the way we've been demoing it. Uh, is is with a real plank and the Quest version. So I. I haven't used the PC version recently, so I don't know if, if all the features have made it over there, but I, uh, all of the features I remember have made it over to the Quest. But so, And also, I'm, I'm not too sure if you remember, Eric, uh, there was one woman at uh, Comic Palooza, whenever we were showing it out, out there, um, that was, e- even though she was absolutely terrified, she was still quite determined <laughs> and... At at one point, it it took her a good maybe minute and a half to make her way down this. How, oh, how long was that board that we were using? Maybe oh, eight, eight feet, feet or probably, so. Yeah, you know. So she she had only made it about halfway down after all this time, and you know. So we, I, I was kind of hovering over her to make sure <laughs> that she wouldn't fall over or anything. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, she just lets out this blood curdling I remember scream. that. I remember that. And it 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 physically hurt me at, at how loud it was <laughs> and I, I almost made me a little deaf in in my left ear for a couple seconds. Yeah. But oh man, that you know, there are people that really enjoy that experience and there are people that really really don't. I mean, we with the the narrow plank that was the, the narrow plank's probably oh, maybe eight inches across i don't know i'd have to go measure it but you know everybody had tried it with the wide plank and nobody really had a problem with it i mean there were people that definitely were, were kind of giddy due to the heights but everyone did it and were, were okay with it the the narrow plank 50 percent of the office took one step out and started to pick their their second foot out there and changed their mind stepped back into the elevator and took the headset <laughs> off so uh if if you guys uh if you have a a narrow plank that you can use with it that I will strongly recommend that it, it ups the experience considerably. And a fan, the fan, fan is so definitely good. that fan makes it definitely adds people. to the realism. Cause you get the, if, especially if you have a remote yeah. or you have somebody else who can run the fan for you or something like that. Um, cause you do want to chaperone somebody right. during this, even if it's in, uh, in on the quest, you definitely want to chaperone somebody cause you don't want somebody falling over. <clears throat> but yeah, if you can do like a fan on a remote or have somebody else trigger it, as soon as those doors open, it just hits them with the, that gust. Man, game over. Half <laughs> people probably won't even take this first step. It's 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 pretty great. Yeah, no, the fan helps. 
all that being said, I'd like to invite our our listeners and our audience out there to let us know about your unique experiences, right? If you had something that was really compelling, something that really changed your perspective, something that scared you away from the horror genre altogether in VR, or something that one of your friends or, or coworkers or family members or, or whoever um, had a, just a amazing, memorable experience, let us know. It'd be great to, to hear um, what your guys' experiences were. Definitely. I mean... Uh... I know there's a lot of corners in, in, in horror, especially if you start going off grid and, and picking up works in progress. Um, we should probably wrap up here in a little bit, but I will throw out one last thing. Uh, I remember reading there were a couple of VR experiences that actually, uh, VR horror experiences actually used uh, galvanic skin response to measure your stress levels and could tailor the experience based <laughs> off the things that were scaring you, which has some yeah. real potential to, to mess with people profoundly. Are you talking about Black Mirror? <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that the the developers said that I, I thought was kind of an interesting insight into VR was, you know, on on a screen, you do something in horror and you almost can't make it too scary. Um, it's still fun no matter how scary you make it almost. So you put it into VR and it can go from fun scary to go really profoundly terrifying uh, very easily. And they said you actually have to kind of dial things back a little bit and use a little more restraint because it is easy to take it beyond the the fun levels of scary into something really unpleasant. Makes sense. I mean, you're playing with some serious stuff. So everyone out there, be careful. Uh, Don't put your grandma with a heart (laughs) condition in some of the scariest things you can possibly find. I'm I'm still waiting for the first heart attack, death in VR. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Death's going to be so bad. Oh, yeah. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> I think we should wrap Halloween. it up. Happy Halloween. Everybody have a happy Halloween, yeah. and uh, we'll talk to you yeah, all next thanks time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, catch you next time. Hey, uh, one, one other last little thing uh, just before we head out. Um, I would also like to uh, invite our audience, if there's a certain topic that y'all would like us to cover, definitely shoot us a line on that as well. We do have a couple things that, uh, a couple topics that we have planned out, but uh, we're we're definitely open to taking in topics from the audience as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. This podcast is produced by the leaders and community members of Houston VR. We'd just like to take a moment to invite everyone to our Patreon page. Our team spends countless hours and resources to make sure we bring you the best content, the newest innovations, and create awesome events for our community. Please consider becoming a patron today and lending your support to ensure that we're able to continue providing the content and experiences you want. Visit patreon.com slash HoustonVR and become a member today.